0: Hi.
1: Hey. hey.
0: Hi.
1: How are you tonight? I'm
0: good. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. Welcome to our podcast, listeners.
0: Welcome to a, our podcast. Mm. My name is Alex. My pronouns are they, them.
1: Hi. My name is Kim. My pronouns are she, her. K-
0: Kimmy is eating candy corn.
1: You mm. know, Alex, I feel like we could do an entire episode about weird like candy or weird foods that we eat that aren't actually good. Like chicken nuggets. Right. But they're like nostalgic. And so you oh, think that they're good, yeah. but like if I never ate a candy corn in my life mm-hmm. and someone just handed it to me and I ate it, I might be like, nah, it's okay. Yeah. But because the nostalgia of like being a kid and eating it and then eating it every year around this time, I'm like, is it good? Or is it just the experience of eating it is good? Or is it just like, isn't really that good.
0: I think our brain, right? It cr- it creates memories around our senses.
1: There's no way what's packed in this little triangle. <laughs> <laughs> Queer reference <laughs> is is good for me, right? Is it in a box? <laughs> is it a triangle? Like, you know what? My parents <laughs> listen to this shit. Is it? I'm downhill already. It tastes like honey. <laughs> oh my God. Mom, dad, turn this off. This is not the episode for you. <sighs> okay, <Can we laughs> you how to be queer with queer people. <laughs> so, okay, before we get into what this episode is, you want to do like talk about a couple things? <laughs> candy corn. They're not candy corn and honey. Oh my god, you're so gay. All right. So we've been talking with. We've had a really interesting week. We're, we're powered by youth scene. We are. Thank you, youth scene. Yep. You want to spell it? Youth scene. S
0: E E N. Go check them out on youth scene. Well, check us out Check on youth scene.org and donate, throw some money. Yeah. Yeah. Queer therapists, queer therapists, whole self wellness, acknowledging all the identities <laughs> of
1: people. It's kind of cool. Yeah. So
0: in Life the, changing.
1: yeah. And like people keep wanting to talk to us about our podcast. Cause I guess people like it. I guess it's kind of cool. We've got some, mm-hmm. we've got some like serious followers and they all sorts of places and people are like, I love your podcast. I, I'm like,
0: really? Yeah. People keep <laughs> saying that we're, we're really good at
1: being vulnerable. And I'm like, are we? <laughs> I guess so. I don't know that I'm good at being vulnerable because I usually crash the day after we do this stuff. Cause I'm like, oh my God, I shared so <laughs> many things and this is not comfortable. And yet here I am. Yep. <laughs> um, but we have been talking a little bit about understanding what our podcast is really about. Yes. And so I kind of do want to like spend a, a little bit of the time like just putting that out there for people that there's 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 a couple things that come to mind when it's like why do we do a podcast? I'm like there's there's I, and I know we talk about this all the time, right? But it's understanding that like most people live in a heteronormative world and we don't. Right. And so we're trying to shine some light on that the heteronormative is not the way that all of us need to live.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, no one, yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, go. Well, and no wonder, you know, I felt we queer people feel like until, you know,
1: mm-hmm.
0: like that you're, that you don't belong or that you're in this world, you're like, I don't, why do I not
1: fit? Why don't I feel right? Yeah. Like I live for the day that we go to Costco and we check out and nobody asks us if we're together because mm-hmm. we just, we just are.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I, I, our, I guess our podcast is about breaking down the heteronormative, being like, look, that's not the way life is for everyone. Yeah. So let's start normalizing what it is. Our po- our podcast is obviously about allyship,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? That whether you're part of a heteronormative or not, we can all show up and be allies, allies to each other in community, allies to each other outside of community.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, our podcast is not. About candy corn, which I'm going to continue to eat while we do this. You have,
0: you have four more pieces, including the one that you were about to eat.
1: I've got them all lined up. Yeah. Um, but this week and our breaking down of heteronormative, there was, um, we're going to talk to two two authors of a book called once a girl, always a boy. And it's a, a book that's written. Um by Joe Ivester, am I saying mm. the last name correctly?
0: yeah, okay Ivester Joe and jeremy
1: I- Ivester and this book so so listeners, we will put on our social media feeds and on our website how you can obtain a copy of it. but this book is is a book that you found years ago
0: yeah i I, I knew about it, and I actually read it last summer over 2020 um COVID. How did you find the book? Oh no. Um, I came, it's, oh, I came across it. Um, I think someone shared it with me. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe bro friend. Mm, okay. Um, but it, it got shared.
1: Yeah. So the book is about, um, Jeremy
0: mm-hmm.
1: who is a transgender man. Mm-hmm. You guys are about to meet him um, he's 31 years old Yeah, and it's about his journey, his, his transition. And first of all, like, I, can we just like talk about like how freaking cute Jeremy oh is? Oh my gosh. I have, a, I have a soft spot for Jeremy. Yeah. Jeremy is really freaking adorable. He is. Um, and so the first time we met Jeremy was a couple weeks ago and we were talking to him over zoom, kind of getting a feel for who he is. And, um, this is what I, this is like always the picture that comes to my mind when we talk about Jeremy is, you know, we're over zoom and zoom kind of sucks, right? Yeah. Like some of us are on it all freaking day and you just get so used to seeing people in like these tiny little screens and whatnot. And Jeremy, um, when they come onto the screen with us, they look a little bit more serious Mm-hmm. Which I get it. They're probably like, who Who the hell are these people that have this podcast that like has no editing and a dog shows up half the <laughs> time and there's no editing and they're just bumbling on about life. And so we start talking to Jeremy, and then I'm like, we start talking about joy mm-hmm. and uh, how Jeremy found his joy. Yeah, and his entire face breaks out into this smile. And there's almost like a goofiness about him, yeah. like a giggly kind of like, I can't believe I'm here kind of goofiness Yeah. and it freaking melts my heart.
0: Yeah. It came through that. I mean, that was what was so great about, about being on, on, on zoom was, or, you know, seeing their face was getting that came through.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing I love about the fact that we got to meet Jeremy and Joe and we got to interview them, which mm-hmm. I swear listeners we're going to get to, Yeah. But I want to share that when you, because you know, obviously we've we've been fairly open about this, that when you and I met, um, you had not yet transitioned. Right. You are who you are. You've yeah. always been this. Yeah. But you had not told me yet who you were.
0: Yeah, I had told myself.
1: <laughs> I mean, I guess.
0: <laughs> There's <that>.
1: Whatever, Alex. <laughs> I guess I should have known, but you didn't even know to yourself. Yeah. But but it, uh, we uh, we were connected to each other when it was another name, another gender, everything. And um, when you trusted me to tell me who you were, the first thing I did was start scouring the internet. How can I find books and anything? What's a guide? How do you be a partner? What do you need to do? And like Ren shared with us a couple of weeks ago that only 30% of, of couples or people that are connected um, stay a couple through transition. This is rhetorical, but I wonder why that is, but I guess that could be like a whole other episode of like yeah. why couples don't, don't, don't stay together for, through transition. But I mean, I always knew I I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Oh yeah. My wagon is hitched to your star. Like yeah. I'm with you. I, I adore you. I love you. There's, I could sit here and I mean, I don't know, can I slobber all over the microphone? Is that unprofessional? I'm s- slob- slobbering right now. And like, let me just go get the wet rag. <laughs> oh my
0: God. That is too far.
1: Here, have some candy. Well,
0: card. okay. Well, and then some vulnerability, like, you know, I just yeah, I had fear that if I did share or if I that you wouldn't that you wouldn't want to be with me. Obviously yeah. we, know, we, and we know it's irrational, but it was there.
1: Yeah. I'm just trying to well, be and I felt the same way, right. Yeah. That you were, you were transitioning into transmasculine and that, um, you weren't going to want some femi lesbian. That's like, Hey, like <laughs> that wasn't going to be what you wanted. Okay. So I, when you, when this was going on with us, like the first thing I did was start scouring the internet to be like, somebody give me a book, give me a podcast, give me something that I can sink my teeth into to figure out like, how are we going to do this? Because I've just, I love you. And I, yeah. I never want to be without you. Me too. So I've, I've said this, I think on this podcast before I found one book, which was the, uh, transgender partner Hand handbook. Book? Yeah.
0: I have it at the office right now.
1: And it, and you literally had to get it to come in from the UK. Yeah. Because there is nothing. Mm -hmm. There is absolutely nothing. Now there's books about being non-binary. There's books about being lesbians, queer. There's books about gender identity, but there's really nothing that like sunk into the relationships that exist between people when a person is transitioning. Right. So. I did
0: learn about a new one today. I I need to, I need to check it out called becoming Nicole. Okay. So we're adding that. Anyway,
1: And maybe we'll get to talk to Nicole then. Yeah. That'd be amazing. Yeah. So I remember last summer, you, you got this book and it had still, it had been a couple of years since you, it's been a couple of years since you transitioned, but I remember you reading Jeremy's book and every like a couple pages you would look up and you would go, Oh my God. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like you loved this book. And I think in my head, I shouldn't say, I think in, and in, in my head, I was
1: having conversations with Jeremy. So. I swear, listeners, we're getting to this interview. <laughs> I promise you, we're not leading you. We're not leading you down a path to be like, and next week, no, like it's coming. <laughs> it's coming. So so you read the book and you're like, you are having a conversation with Jeremy, um, Joe, who is the mom, mm-hmm. um, but the book goes back and forth between different family members' perspectives, uh, but mostly focused on Jeremy's voice and Joe's voice as mom and son, of how Jeremy's life Mm -hmm. and it starts from like when Jeremy's around like five and takes you through, um, pretty much like, just like from a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And I need to acknowledge like my one, like an area where I really did not understand, um, I'm just i'm so grateful that i understand it a little bit better after reading jeremy's book and meeting jeremy that this is a long process mm-hmm. and i understand it too a little bit more since we we spoke with ren too that it, sometimes i think we think of transition of like oh someone starts gets a surgery or starts taking hormones or tell you tells you their name and you're like oh they transitioned and part of like what this book did for me was walk me through the decades that jeremy spent transitioning <sighs> Yeah. So, yep.
0: I just said that. I just did that because that just resonated deep with me. Yes.
2: And
1: there's a, there's a huge part of me that I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit like embarrassed, I guess, of my lack of knowledge of a person that is, is transitioning. And I'm also really, like there's a part of me that's really angry Mm. because I feel like one of the things I hear about the, like from people who, who show up really as transphobic and anti trans is that, oh, I guess they're just going by this name now, or oh, I guess they're this gender now, or oh, this is just a thing that kids do now. Yeah. And you read Jeremy's book, and I know your story, and, you know, meeting Ren and um, a couple other uh, people I know in the community, and it is just nothing to go into quickly, lightly. It is not something that people go into quickly or, or lightly. This is decades of, of, of self-reflection of discovery of vulnerability of, of shame sometimes. And, um, I just encourage anyone out there that's going to listen to this interview and then hopefully go and get Jeremy's book and read it that you can open your mind up to, and your heart essentially up to what this is really like.
0: This yeah. is not
1: quick. It is not easy. It is not something that people just do on a whim. Right. It, it is not.
0: Yeah. And there's, and, um, for parents out there, uh, one of the things that I learned through the transition of our daughter was, you know, being with being trans is you're, you're consistent, you're insistent and you're persistent.
1: i break that down for us, Alex. You're,
0: you're consistent, you're insistent and you're persistent. And it's like, if you if you acknowledge how the work, if you see and well, you see and feel how the world will treat you, like really, like you can't. It, you, oh, I'm I'm losing some words because it's like you don't. Go back for me. Okay, thank you.
1: So, <laughs> if you're a, if you're a parent, yes, and your child comes out to you, yeah. There's three things that you look for, which is consistency in what they're telling you Yeah, that they insist on what they're telling you. Yeah. And what's the third one again? And they're persistent and they're persistent. So what
0: does that actually look like? Well, I guess let me, let me work backwards a little bit. So, so persistent, you know, this is, this is who they are. Nothing can stop that. N- nothing you can say, nothing you can do, no amount of name calling, no amount of like gatekeeping of healthcare. Like you won't stop someone's identity. It just is. And so the way that you show up for your kids and for the people that you love is by when they're um, consistent and they're insistent, like, this is who I am. This is who I am. And this is who I am you just like, you, you go with it. And I guess I have to acknowledge, like, I'm like, you know, I, I'm, I'm angry, but on like a healthy, like, because I'm an advocate and, and this is also who I am. Like, you have to be a little bit angry to see.
1: Yeah. There was like a little bit of anger. Like, does it seriously take a child or a person, anyone, yeah. a human being? Yeah why should they have to tell you over and over and over and over again who they are? Yeah. And then you grant them, Oh, I believe you. Right. Like what the fuck is that? Yeah. And that's what makes me angry.
0: That's right? what makes me angry too. That's what makes me angry. So, you know, when there's two and three-year-olds who are like assigned female at birth or they're assigned male at birth and they're saying, I'm a girl, I'm a boy. They're, they're, they're saying that they're the opposite. Like all you have to do is say, okay. That's all. I mean, it's so simple. I get that that's, it's, it can be complicated for parents, but that's how you like show up for your kid.
1: You know, and we've talked about this before, but I really encourage people to think like, you know, cause this is, this is where I have to stretch my mind too, right? Cause I, I was raised in a heteronormative culture. Oh yeah. Me too. I, I'm a cisgendered person. And so when we say like, oh, well they've, they've told me since they were, you know, two, three, four, five years old who they are. There is like a part of me that's like, well, how do you even know at that age, right? Yeah. But then I think this is who they are before the world is telling them not to be.
0: Exactly. That energetic up in the up in the clouds like the soul level the kids just know who they are.
1: And then I think so right, so this is they're telling you who they are before the world is telling them who not to be. Yeah, right? And what difference does it make mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who cares yeah and i guess you know lesson for myself to always keep myself in in check is the privilege that i hold as a cisgendered person yeah it's not mine to validate it's not mine to second guess it's not mine to be like oh well you're just too young to know who you are hell i was in in the closet 30 some year old right like i didn't want people questioning who i was i couldn't even you know look at myself in the mirror but yet a child that comes out and is like this is who i am i somehow as an adult feel the right to question them it's bullshit right it's not okay yeah so other cisgendered people out there like come along with me i've i'm i'm really learning a lot yeah i'm really appreciative to and- my trans folks in my life that are helping me expand my brain
0: yeah And, and I've learned, I learned so much. I learned so much from um, the youth in our lives that are transgender before, even before I came out.
1: The bravery, the courage, the acknowledgement of self.
0: Yeah. Because I definitely look back and I'm like, oh crap. Yeah. You fucked that one up.
1: I mean, what's living if you can't say that. Exactly. You know, (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> healing can come in different forms.
1: Well, let's get to it, huh? So, so here's who, here's who you're all going to meet. You are going to meet Jeremy and Joe and Joe is the mom. Jeremy is the child. Their book is once a girl, always a boy. It is the journey of a family. It's
0: a family mem-
1: memoir of a transgender journey.
0: And if you download it on the audible all of them read it
1: yes because it's more than just jeremy and joe yeah we've got
0: brothers and brothers sisters and
1: sisters and dad yes and it, it's 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 pretty kick-ass yeah
0: because i bought the kindle version and then you got the kindle version and then we bought the hard copy and now we're i'm gonna i'm gonna go get the audible and get to hear him read it oh yeah <laughs> so uh
1: let's get to it let's get let's get to our interview
0: And now everyone, Joe and Jeremy.
1: Well, listeners, um, as you just heard from the intro that Alex and I have done, we are really excited that Jeremy and Joe are here with us. Are you excited? I'm super excited. You're super excited. So (laughs) you found this book a few years ago and shared it with me. And it is an absolute honor that you guys are spending time with us. We have the benefit. We can actually see Jeremy and Joe as we do this. I know I made like a hand gesture, like (laughs) our listeners. Sorry, guys, you only get to hear um, the voices, but you can absolutely look them up online and and get an idea of of how these these beautiful individuals that are here with us today. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. So Jeremy, I am going to hand it over to you. If you can introduce yourself, and then I think you're going to share Directly, you're going to read a little bit an excerpt from the book with us. So I'm going to hand it right on over to you. Go ahead.
3: Yeah. Um, Hi, guys. I am Jeremy, and I'm transgender. And I'm pretty sure everybody listening knows what that means. I'm going to go over it anyways, because that's what I do. (laughs) A transgender person is someone whose gender identity doesn't align with their sex assigned at birth. And so in my case, I was assigned female at birth and have since transitioned both medically and socially to male. Um, I'm here with my mom, Joe, to share some of our story, um, what it was like for me growing up. But before we do that, I do wanna talk a little about why I do this, why I put myself out there. And simple answer, I do this to raise awareness Um, for people like me, uh, having role models and people to look to, to know that what they're feeling is valid and that they have a community and a future, I think that's vital. Um, and I also do this to help combat those who would use transgender people as a way to spread fear and hatred, because it's very easy to dehumanize and hate what you don't understand. And so I hope that by putting myself out there, I can show everyone that we're just people and therefore deserving of love and respect and the ability to just exist in this world. Um,
1: Well, (laughs) so that's- Jeremy, thank you. Thank you.
3: Yeah, so that's you go that's ahead the one.
1: A little bit for us.
3: Uh, sure. I can I can read my little my little excerpt from the book.
1: That'd be great. Um,
3: so, this excerpt is from when I was in middle school. Um, I was playing football on the boys' team, um, but it was kind of the first time in my life that. I wasn't one of the guys anymore because middle school is when all the little kids start realizing that they're different. Um, And so I was feeling very ostracized. Um, So here we go, this is the football stands. When we're on the field and suited up, my teammates forget that I'm a girl. With my shoulder pads and helmet, I don't look any different from them and are all caught up in the sport. But I feel left out because we're no longer friends off the field. I thought sixth grade was tough, but seventh grade is even worse when it comes to not fitting in. One day, as we were hanging out before practice, waiting for the coaches to show up, I walked up to a group of guys who were laughing together. When I got there though, they all went quiet. Whatever they were talking about, they didn't want to discuss it in front of me. Maybe it was girls or their junk, but it made me really uncomfortable. So I climbed into the stands to sit alone thinking, it's okay that they don't want me around. I can deal, but I couldn't. I couldn't make the feeling go away. My throat hurt and my chest tightened and I felt isolated and deserted as I thought about how long it had been since I'd hung out with my teammates like when we were little kids. I no longer had a social life.
2: Wow, Jeremy. Um, so now you're hearing mom's voice. I'm Joe Ivester. And I wish that you could all see me, because what you would have seen when Jeremy was first talking was this incredible smile on my face as I'm beaming with pride at my kid. I say kid. He's 31. But, uh, <laughs> they he never stop being our kids, right? <laughs> That's, right. That's right. And and then seeing me a little choked up, uh, listening to Jeremy describing that experience in middle school. Um, so. Alex and Kim, thank you so much for inviting us to join you today. Uh, I love listening to the two of you interacting and the the exchange and the, the information and the the joyful but poignant conversations. Um, so we we feel really privileged to be a part of this today.
1: Well, believe me, I, your, your book for both of us, I think a little bit of, I'm going to jump in Joe before, um, and, and you've listened to our podcast. So you're used to seeing us go in every different direction, but then I swear, we're going to bring it back in two things I wanted to mention. Cause you just said a word that is really important for us to highlight today. And that word is joy. And so our listeners have been with us the last couple of weeks, and yep. we're trying to understand how joy shows up for us because sometimes so much of the experience of being a queer person, we focus on the struggle and not on the joy. So this is something you and I are working on right now. So this um this is re- very timely because we're we are going to talk about joy today and specifically, um, Jeremy, parts of your story that really led you to joy. And Joe, you're as a mom and an advocate. Um, so as much as as much joy as we can talk about it, the best, and then I also wanted to share with our listeners. So everyone knows that it's we've been really open about the fact that when Alex and I first um, became in, in, in connection in each other's lives, it was before Alex had transitioned, and I am um, nothing if not very true to being a type A Capricorn, and so when Alex told me who they were. I immediately was like, what books do I need to read? What can I find? How do I be a a good partner? Because I don't know anything about this. And there is nothing. There is just not a lot out there that really talks about what your book talks about in such a personal, deep way. Um, I think I found one book that was the Transgender Partners Handbook. It actually has like worksheets you can do in it. I mean, I am really like, I study this. This would be a good partner. So in your book, for me, at least reading through it, I've underlined so many sections because it just felt so good to understand a story that just was so rooted in what I think I experienced with you. Yeah, It was just so real. And I felt so much less alone of just hearing the story, so thank you. I know I can't even imagine what it felt like for you. Well, to
0: read—I mean, to read the book because it, obviously it's incredibly like you're being authentic and vulnerable, and jo- joy is rooted in vulnerability, right? So we can't experience. So like, it just, it 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 represents joy. Yeah. Like it the th- like th- that this and you <laughs> exist. The that the is, joy. Thing is joy is <laughs> joy
1: <laughs> so thank you guys and um
2: joe well, do you want to go would, ahead and read would lead, that would lead well into the reading that I. yeah please uh, okay, uh, it, go was, for it. it about a very very joyful experience um even though at the time going into it i didn't realize that's what's going on so jeremy read about uh, a time in middle school i'm going to back up further to when he was preschool. So picture a, a, uh, a four-year-old uh, running around uh, at daycare and interacting with um, all of his little friends and they were together kind of nonstop. So before puberty, he had this great circle of friends and they all started um, getting haircut at this same place that kind of catered to little boys. And so it felt very natural for Jeremy to want to go there, even though his friends at that time didn't perceive him that way. And his hair was a little bit longer than his friends. It came down uh, probably around his shoulders. And uh, he wanted a haircut. So we said, sure, we're going to go to the same place. And the stylist assured me that she knew how to cut longer hair. Uh, She didn't quite. And so things weren't going so well. And that's where we are at at this point in the book, which is on page 15, if anybody is wanting to follow along. And uh, so I said to Jeremy, don't worry, sweetie. I'll fix it when we get home. Jeremy trusted me. He stopped squirming in his seat, smiled at the hairdresser and settled in to wait. The moment he was done, he jumped up and ran to the car saying, mommy, it's okay. You'll make it look better. I didn't know until an hour later just how prophetic his words had been. The moment we got home, we headed straight for the bathroom. I dragged my desk chair and from my study and placed it facing the mirror. Jeremy climbed up eager to see how I was going to change his bedraggled appearance. Have you ever done this before? He asked. Sure. I answered with more confidence than I felt. I used to trim Ben's hair all the time. What are you going to do? How do you know where to cut? Will I look like Ben when you're done? His questions tumbled out faster than I could answer. So I just went to work. I had to trim the hair really short before I could get it to look right. I don't know whether it was my inexperience with the scissors or the growing grin on Jeremy's face, but for some reason, I kept on cutting. And the more I cut, the more Jeremy beamed. By the time I was done, he looked exactly like big brother Ben had three years earlier. When he was five years old, Jeremy had a traditional boy's haircut, parted at the side and clipped neatly around the ears. I didn't have the words to explain why Jeremy was ecstatic. But for the first time since becoming aware of how he looked, I could tell that he liked what he saw. Despite not understanding completely, I shared his joy. It didn't matter to me that his pleasure in looking like a boy was unusual. All I cared about as a mother was that somehow, in some way, i would made my child happy.
1: Joe, so thank you for sharing that part. I, as our listeners know, Alex and I are both um, mothers. And so the joy, when we see our child enjoy joy is like a feeling like nothing else. So thank you for sharing that piece. Um, Jeremy, I got this impression of you when I read when when I was reading your story of I pictured you as this like super athlete kid. Um I love all the stories about, you know, playing catch and being on teams. And you just you strike me as like were you just like athletically, you just could you I could was, play, right?
3: Child me was crazy athletic. Um, I played every sport that I possibly could. Um, I wanted to be just like my older brother, Ben, who uh, mostly played football and actually played in college. Um, and I was, I was good. I kept up with the, with the boys until, um, until about eighth grade. I uh, stopped growing at five-five. So <laughs> the contact sports didn't stick around forever, but elementary school, middle school, I was,
1: I was a sporty kid. <laughs> well, and that's where we kind of get to this word tomboy. Mm-hmm. And you guys talk a lot about this word in the book and both of you have and so I'm going to read a little part about an exchange that the two of you had where Joe you're saying, "Hey, remember I was a tomboy too growing up. I was I was way happier looking boyish. I liked it when people mistook me for a boy." And Jeremy, your answer to your your mother was, "Mom, this is different." So do you guys mind sharing with us a little bit? Cause I think tomboy, I know I was given the words tomboy when I was growing up. I know you definitely were. And for a long time, like that word kind of felt okay to you too, Alex, but the more we know about language, the more we kind of are deconstructing what that means. Yeah. Yeah. So Jeremy, when you said like, mom, this is different. This isn't just a tomboy. Do you, can you tell us a little bit about what maybe you were trying to tell, (laughs) tell mom?
3: Yeah, and it's, it is confusing because of language, because as a child, you know, everyone called me a tomboy because I hung out with boys and I played sports and that's what people called me and that's what I called myself. And it's, it wasn't until later in hindsight, I realized that when I was saying tomboy and when other people were saying tomboy, we were talking about two different things, um, that I perceived it as a special kind of boy and everyone else was perceiving it as a special kind of girl. Mm -hmm. Um, But this conversation with my mom happened as an adult when I was coming to terms with being trans and trying to explain that experience to my mom and explain my identity. And, you know, because she is an empathetic person, her immediate response is to try to relate that to her own experience and say, I understand, I also could feel these things. And I actually got pretty sharp in that, no, it's not the same. Even if there's some overlap in experience between you being a tomboy and me being trans, it's not the same because one is about how you act and how you prefer to dress and stuff, and the other is about your identity. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was an important distinction, and I think it took me almost getting angry before she realized that oh, this is this is something different. I don't know if you want to jump in, Mama.
2: Yeah, I, I would say that that my lack of understanding when I thought I did understand got in got in the way because I was I was making assumptions that weren't true. And it was stopping me from really listening and really hearing. And that was a a growth that I had to go through. And when I look back on it, I can see exactly why I was responding the way I did. I didn't just think of myself as a tomboy, but as very extreme in my tomboyishness. Um, To the point that when my brother first heard about Jeremy, his immediate response was, well, Joe, if we'd had the terminology when you were a kid and the understanding and the acceptance, would you have identified as trans going back to when you were 10 years old? And that shook me up and I had to spend a lot of time figuring out, well, what are the differences? And Jeremy helped me through that. But I had an experience where I pretended to be a boy and I was very successful in that so that my best friend yeah you talk about that a lot in the book yeah Yeah. and it did give me an an appreciation for the terror of exposure Mm -hmm. because one of the worst moments of my childhood was when the the summer was over i'd successfully um gotten away with my pretense and it was that it wasn't an identity it was a pretense and the school year started and I'm old enough that the school year meant you had to wear a dress. There were, there were dress codes, you couldn't wear pants to school. And on my way home, the mom of one of the little boys I'd hung out with over the summer saw me. And there was a look of shock on her face as she realized that I was a girl. And we were in a bookstore and she started coming after me hollering at me saying you're a girl you're a girl and i kept trying to get away from her going further into the store and acting like she didn't know me i didn't know her and it was a horrible um very public experience it gave me maybe a a tenth of one percent of an appreciation for what a trans individual may be going through if they are not public in who they are mm-hmm. and are are scared of being outed
1: right so yeah so
2: Thank you. Being outed, you can lose your job you can use lose your home you can lose an awful lot um so it's this very very tiny overlap but in my head it made it so that oh yeah i understand what jeremy's going through which i didn't yeah and so i had to reach that that place first before i could really hear him
1: Hmm. Hmm. Um. Yeah. I. I. I just wanted to because I think sometimes the the language is incredibly important. And and Alex, we've talked about this all the time that for you, even in, with your gender identity, you didn't get the language until you were forty. And um, it does matter. I think that we have conversations of understanding how tomboy can mean one thing to one person and one thing to another. But because I was, you know, I was sharing with you guys before I was a, I was a tomboy. My dad used to joke around with me that, you know, people would come up to us and be like, Hey, I didn't realize you had a son and I would beam. I loved it. I loved when I was little of, of, you know, having people mistake me for a boy, but there was a huge difference between that and understanding still that I did identify in my gender as a, as a girl. So just again, a, a, the opportunity to speak with people and understanding the importance of language and, and how it impacts and affects all of us. But do you wanna, this part this, we've got another section of this book that really spoke to us. I'm gonna make Alex read this one though. Oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're we, Kim, the professional interviewer here. Um, okay, so.
1: Cause we're jumping ahead to now that you're, I, Jeremy, I don't think you were identifying as transgender just yet and you do this so beautifully in the book that this was baby stepping into your identity or expressing your identity but you did decide at some point yes i want to get top surgery um top surgery just as a reminder for our listeners is is do you want to explain it you (laughs) um
0: i mean it's surgery to remove uh, breast tissue mm-hmm. yeah yeah but Sur- for
1: but it's a huge step for in the transition process yes
0: yeah yeah some people mm-hmm. choose to have it and some some don't and
1: yeah there's no one way to be transgender is transgender. that what you're telling me yeah but <laughs> I'm still, I'm, still in the back of my mind for my anyway for yes, yourself for myself
0: okay um I have thoughts about about Tomboy. Maybe we can come back to that. Okay. Later. So, d- am I just reading this?
1: Well, this is just to set it up. So, Jeremy, you did decide you were going to get top surgery. You found um, a, the a surgeon that you felt really safe and comfortable with. Um, mm-hmm. Joe, boy, did I feel for you because you had a dislocated shoulder you were down to one arm, but you are gonna fly across the country to into Florida where you had the surgery to remove. Um, it's essentially, sometimes they would like, almost like I, I try to think of it, it's like a double mastectomy. Um, one of the points that you make in this is, that's also really interesting is that even though the surgery is essentially the same, if you are um, a trans person receiving the surgery, you do not get an overnight stay in the hospital. But if this is a woman or identifying as a woman biologically to get a double mastectomy, it's how many days in the hospital, even though it's essentially the same surgery? Two to four. Two to four, so you are not going to be in the hospital overnight, so mom is coming to be with you.
3: Yeah, and and I don't know if this is something that's changed because it's been almost 10 years um, at this point, and back then uh, there was no trans healthcare that was covered by insurance, and so the reason this ended up being an outpatient procedure was because this was, there was no insurance coverage. And so it was a way of keeping the price down because um, staying around in the hospital without insurance, very pricey.
1: And uh, this doctor in Florida like really understood that because they oh, yeah. remember you yeah, saying the this is how they're gonna keep costs down so people can have the surgery. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, you're in getting the surgery, mom, you've got a dislocated shoulder, but you're a mother. So of course you are flying across the country to help take care of your child, but you had a really interesting observation in the waiting room. And Alex, do you want to read that part?
0: Sure. So Joe says, um, I started looking around at the room, imagining the backstory of each patient, each of the patients sitting there. Most were young men with neatly trimmed beards. It took a moment for me to realize they were all transgender and on testosterone Jeremy was adamant that she wasn't, that he wasn't like them, that he was here only to treat his gender dysphoria, physical gender dysphoria. He believed that once he had a flat chest, he'd be happy, that all he wanted was to look androgynous, neither male nor nor female. I thought there was more to it than that. Jeremy was in denial. He was more like all the young men in the waiting room, then he admitted, "I believed he just hadn't accepted it yet."
1: Hmm. Jeremy, how did it feel when you read those words of your mom's? It's
3: it's stuff that we had talked about quite a bit. Um, I wasn't surprised. Um, I was, in fact, in lots denial at that time. Um, that. The majority of my dysphoria then was physical, and I had convinced myself that if I changed my body, that would be enough because I was really scared of change and more than that, scared of having to have everybody else in my life change their perception of me um, and scared of being inconvenience to other people. And so that all contributed to this state of denial that I was in but I knew I needed to have a flat chest. It's, there was no question about that in, in my mind, even with all the denial. Um, but I think even at the time, I, on some level I was aware that this was just the first step. Um, and actually on that trip was when me and my mom started talking about names um, yeah. because she, Saw what was going on, and realized, Oh, maybe this is just a first step um, so she was she was already there, <laughs> but we've had a very open conversation about all of my gender stuff throughout this whole time, so nothing nothing was news to me when I read read the book, <laughs>
2: <laughs> but you did but but in
1: baby stepping. And you actually have like, I think a chapter that's called baby stepping that Mm -hmm. this, because I, you know, we were talking about this before that there's a bit of a misconception. And I, I think I had this misconception too, that transition happens very fast, right? That a person tells us, you know, this is who I am. And, and sometimes, and and this is, is what I really loved about your book is it helped me become more empathetic and understanding the care and the time and the the process that an individual goes through. And um, you know, we've had people that, you know, when when approached with like, hey, this is my name, these are my pronouns, this is who I am. Sometimes we can almost get like a hand wave, like, oh, one of that, just this, you know, oh, you're transitioning. And um, just understanding the levels that you really did have to go through and, and understanding yourself to get to where you are. This was a long process it years. Was. Mm-hmm. It was,
3: it, w- it was years. And I could see from an outside perspective how transition can seem sudden, especially when you start talking about hormones where seemingly overnight you can look like a different person. But for me, at least, it was a very long process. And um, part of what took so long in coming to terms with everything myself and, and doing that soul searching was that like you, I thought it was a sudden thing. Like it was just one big thing that you just do. And that was scary because I felt like I had all of these feelings, but I felt like I was at the edge of a cliff and I was scared to take that leap. And it took really seeing a therapist and having her help me break it down into smaller chunks to realize that no, this isn't a leap. I can take baby steps. I can start with how I want to look and just talk to my friends and then maybe have a teacher refer to me with the correct pronouns. And it can be this slow process of Mm self-realization. And I thought, I think that was correct um, for, for my transition at least.
0: Yeah, that resonates deeply with me too. Like like I had a therapist who was like, you know, there's this, and then let's pause and there's this and let's pause. And it was just like, yeah. So I was like, oh, I can break this up into small chunks, not like entire <laughs> sandwiches at the same time and <laughs> joke on my own self.
3: Right. Um,
2: I think, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah. I think it's good to recognize the, the vast differences though, that that in each case, Alex and Jeremy, you both said, this was my experience, and someone may experience it much faster. I think about some of the um, children that mm-hmm. I know that have figured things out at four years old. And so for them, there just was never a time that they were assuming anything other than their authentic identity. So it seems like it was very fast in, in those situations. Um, and that was what was right for them and so Um, it just there's I I think I think Kim you said it earlier there's no one right way to be trans and there's not
1: one journey journey for anyone right
2: yeah with Jeremy and Alex but everyone's story is so different that's what's amazing and wonderful
1: yeah and learning more about people's stories too and this is um, universal I think this is not just unique to a person that transitions but it is um this concept of go back to who you were before the world told you who to be. Right. So however that is. And so for me, that was, oh, well, I I yes, I knew actually really clearly who I was when I was a child, right? Jeremy, you were out playing sports and like your your relationship with your brothers and um, and you too, you were walking around in your backyard with your dad without your shirt on. I and- <laughs> know.
0: I mean, I was going to say this with like a deep, dark era, you know, it's like, like the shadow, the shadows, but like, it's, you know, I knew I was, I knew, I knew who I was before the rest of the world was like, no, you're not. And I'm like, but what, 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 what? And that's, I think just, you know, reminding, like you're saying, you know, parents who like, why it feels so sudden. I'm like, no, they're, this is such a gift that your kid knows who they are and kind of let them. And cause I, I think, yeah, how that can
1: un, unfold. We still have, we got like 10 more markers in this book. Okay. <laughs> We're going to get to get there. We, could, we, could, we should just like keep talking on other, you know. Okay. So Jeremy, I am going to ask you about, because you, you had top surgery, mm-hmm. but had not yet started hormones and hormones you talk a lot about that decision in the book about and you and i'm sorry but the one person that you worked with at the coffee shop that said so you're gonna start um to you i think you bravely said hey i'm i'm taking um hormones and his response was that you were gonna turn into some like rageaholic i was like "Holy <laughs> crap, dude he that's
3: just- a common common misperception that like going on testosterone changes your whole personality and makes you like aggressive and angry but it's one i got a lot um i can think of actually i don't know if this was in the book um but one of the other men at that coffee shop uh was telling me you know how after after i start hormones i'm just gonna want to fight everybody and i was like i don't i don't think so (laughs) <laughs> and he's like, no, no, you will. And I realized it's because for whatever reason, that was his experience as a kid, was it him and his brothers just brawl? That's just what they did. And he thought that that was like a universal male experience of, oh, puberty's happening. I, I've got all these hormones, let's fight. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's but really, it's really not. <laughs> really
1: fascinating examination, and this is a rabbit hole that I'm going to say we don't have time to go down to yeah, go yeah. down into. But I was really fascinated about how we have this link of testosterone and then um, aggression. Um, And I I think this is like a topic for because you struggled with this too. And I remember you went through the same thing where people would associate be like, Oh my gosh, are you going to roid rage. And I was like, I don't think we're getting a different personality we're getting (laughs) hormones but it's fascinating to me the way that we project what testosterone and masculinity is going to do to a person instead of thinking, well, maybe we need to deconstruct why we think that, and we're putting that that narrative out into the world. Yeah, that was one reason why I did, that was one of the like last
0: pieces that I started to socially sh- share was that I was on hormones, even though like I was on a microphone, you know, four times a week with in front of classes, but I'm like, do they, do they know my voice is changing? Like, <laughs> and being scared that they would actually recognize it. And then, and then, um, because I was worried about, yeah, the narratives. And be like, but, But the reality is not.
1: You're, yeah.
0: Because you're just being yourself still, so, yeah.
1: Jimmy, how did you feel when you started taking testosterone? Because I know you yeah. had a, feel, a really specific feeling when you went on what testosterone did for you, but Jeremy, what as, was your experience with it?
3: As far as, like, my emotions, what, what physically um, I was oh, going through.
0: Yeah, I mean, you. what comes up first, I guess, for you that, you
3: that you want to share? Well, I mean, for me, I think because I spent so much time figuring things out and, and coming to the conclusion that yes, this is what I wanna do, I really took my time with that decision and was very confident in it. Every single thing that happened to my body on testosterone was a positive. Like even things that objectively are kind of gross, like you get smellier, for me, it was like, no, this is good. This is me getting to be myself. And so it was a very affirming thing that, you know, I'd notice a change and it would feel right. And just every little thing that happened, I was like, I did right. I, I did the right thing. Um, Baby and stuff. Yeah, exactly. And so with that, I think comes feeling more confident and feeling better in your own skin and it all contributes to me being a happier person yeah just because I'm a more comfortable person Mm -hmm. um and so physical transition uh has done wonders for in that aspect so it's all positive
1: <laughs> anyways, now we're getting to like the joyous parts, right? Like yeah. we're starting to tap into that joy. And do you remember what you told me when you first started taking testosterone? Do you remember what you told me it made you feel? I think I told you a lot of things about. <laughs> it.
3: Well, realistically, it makes you hungry and horny, and that's that's it. That's like the first month. That's yeah. All
1: besides, besides the hunger and horny, but. <laughs> Which, yes, you did tell me you did. But um, <laughs> I mean, I mean, it was like, oh, this is me. Yes. Yeah. You said you felt like this just makes me feel like myself. Which yeah. was a, That's the more important point. part. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. OK, so now we're. But now you, you, you in this part of the book, I'm on page 201. Um, you are Jeremy. You are out Um. And you're in your, your family had moved to Austin. I think at this point or someplace in Texas, I'm not totally sure where you guys are, but you went to a club and I loved this. And I think I like fist pumped when I got <laughs> to this part of the book, cause now we're getting to the joy, but you're, you're at a club and you're, um, Jeremy and I love, you were talking about the way that you were dressed and you say, I was flying, so you're at the club and then you got to go back to your parents' house. And as you're walking back to your parents, you're like, I was flying high the whole walk back to my parents' apartment. I was Jeremy. I had been Jeremy for three whole hours.
3: (laughs) Yeah, so this was um, in that year gap I had between top surgery and going on hormones. Um, And this was the first time where, I was So I was visiting my parents in Austin, and that meant that outside of my parents, I didn't know anybody. Um, and so I took that as an opportunity to just see what it felt like to introduce myself as Jeremy. Because um, it was a new experience that because of top surgery, the world was seeing me as male, even if I hadn't quite gotten there myself. Um, but I'm in Austin, i am introduced myself as Jeremy for the first time and I decided, you know what? I'm gonna go to a gay bar, that's what I wanna do. Um, and I was scared because I had kind of convinced myself that they weren't going to believe me when I got there,
2: mm-hmm.
1: that
3: you know they would think I was a lesbian. Nothing wrong with that not how I identified. <laughs> yeah. And I was, I was really worried about that that would be my perception. But once I get to this far, I, you know, hang out, introduce myself to some people, um, introduce myself as Jeremy, and it is immediately accepted and uh, ended up dancing with a guy. And at the end of the night, you know, he says, hey, you're really cute. And then I go home very innocent. Um, At least on my end, very innocent. Uh, But like it says in the book, I was absolutely flying high because I was Jeremy and this was a man who was attracted to other men found me attractive. And that was new and really, really affirming and kind of a key point in my realization that, okay, I, I do need to do this. I am Jeremy. I I wanna start hormones. I wanna fully transition. This in-between stage isn't doing it for me anymore. And that was, I think a pretty big turning point was, was that realization of, I like it when the world sees me this way.
1: Yeah. yeah. I really did fist pump when I got to the car. <laughs> I was like, yeah, Jeremy, go, Jeremy, go. I was so excited for you. And, and um, I understand like, do you want to tell people like the first time that I referred to you as a lesbian, what you did? Oh my God. <laughs> Not a lesbian. <laughs> right and and the first time that I referred to you as a lesbian, you were very adamant with me that that no. yeah I had in my head I thought I was being you know funny and cute
0: and but the reality was I was pretty aggressive about <laughs> saying like you know like no, I'm not <laughs> and um is which, that which, yeah what which, to which
1: listeners I know like sometimes that can be really confusing for people to understand, but it it goes back to there being a difference in your orientation and your identity. So just as we talk about this like that's really what we're talking about is that orientation is is one thing we're not talking about that today today we are talking about identity and identity is is if you identify as male and someone calls you a lesbian that's not going to feel organic to who you are so I know that that is one of the we do a lot of training around that of people understanding that these things are different. Um, so we are talking about your identity and and Jeremy, you are. like I can't imagine that anybody is gonna think that you're not really, really cute. So I'm glad that that person pointed it out to you. And, Thank and you. our poor listeners, they don't get the the um, the aspect of seeing your face even when you tell that story because your whole face lights up. It's just cute. Okay, Thank you. <laughs> so I wanted us to continue with um, joy, but as I'm going because I like to do things chronologically, um, Joe, there is a part um, of this story in your story where you talk about, and this is about the grief I think for parents of understanding. Um, so I'm going to read this one um, section, and um, I know that we talked about this before, Jeremy. But I am going to use your what we what Alex and I call a dead name, just because it it's it has to be kind of mentioned in this section. Um, but Joe, you are talking about coming to terms with, um, I think probably where life for Jeremy is going to go in terms of specifically about being a parent someday. And you said, that was the first time I realized how completely Jeremy had thought this through with nothing further to say. I let the sadness wash over me. It wasn't just because I'd never have the grandchild I wanted. It was also because my daughter, Emily was truly gone. In fact, she had never really existed. I had raised a son and I now knew that my son would never have a child of his own. So Joe, can I ask you to just talk a little bit with our listeners? Because a common thing that I think parents say and they've, they've written this to us before is that there's they use the word grief. And I really paused when I read this section and you said, that the because your daughter was truly gone, but in fact she had never really existed.
2: Can you talk to us a little bit about that that part of your story? So there's a there's a lot to unpack right there. Um, Yeah. First thing I want to say is that oh gosh, there's so many first things that I want to say, but people's feelings are what they are. And if someone tells me that they're grieving, I take them at their word that they are grieving. That being said though, whatever parents are feeling and processing, I think it's really important the terminology they use in front of their children. So Jeremy's an adult and he was leading the way and we were following him. But I look at families with, with children and the children have are transitioning or have transitioned and sometimes I hear parents talk about grieving. And that's so hard on the kids Mm so part of the discussion i think has to be what are you feeling and why and and what are you grieving about but also sometimes you don't have this discussion in front of your kid or with your kid and i'm i'm all all about transparency but this is a place that i think it's really important to think about what's best for the kids and so I want that to kind of be surrounding my, my other comments. Um, I come back to what was I grieving about? And there were two things. One was that in Jeremy's case, and this obviously isn't the case for everybody who's transgender, at the same time that he was declaring who his authentic self is, he was saying, and I'm not going to have children.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I would have felt sadness for any of my kids cisgender transgender to say that they weren't going to have children because it was such an important part of my life and where so much of my joy has come from and so there would be a sadness associated with that that was different from grieving over having a trans kid Uh, and that's a really important distinction but the piece of it where i really did feel sad was this sense of saying goodbye to what i had perceived to be my daughter and as I thought about that more and more over time, as captured in what you read, that person never did exist. Jeremy has been Jeremy since he was born. We just didn't know it. And so when I hear parents talk about grieving their lost child, that I won't have my son anymore or I won't have my daughter anymore, what I try to do is kind of turn them to thinking about what are you getting a chance to get to know? That here's this remarkable young man, Jeremy, who I got to know in a way that that was incredible and close and revealing. And that came from my being willing to accept him as transgender, as his true self. And for a parent that focuses on, oh, I'm grieving over the loss of The child i thought i had they're missing that opportunity
1: Hmm.
2: and and so i look at it that i didn't grieve over losing a child because i very quickly realized no i didn't lose a child my child now a man is is right in right here yeah right here i can see him i can interact with him i can love him and that's that's fantastic and that's amazing that i have that opportunity so that's what i try to share with parents is is to refocus it
1: it's just such a, a wonderful message uh, that's just it really resonates so deeply i think um in you know specifically with with having a, a trans child which we are the parents of of a, of a trans child as well and but i think you know as parents, like, isn't that always our, our mission in life is that we have a picture in our head of who we think our kid is going to be. And the road to joy and happiness is let your kids tell you <laughs> who they are, regardless of what that is. Um, obviously, it's, it's hugely important within the trans community to affirm who we are as individuals. But, you know, I, I have my kids that as far as I know right now are telling me that they're cisgendered. But I also have in my head, like what they're going to be when they grow up for a job. I have no right to put that on them. It's just what I think they should do. And I hope that I will continue to use your words, Joe, to check myself and my assumptions with my own children. Um, But Jeremy, I I know we don't have a ton of time left. And I want to ask, I know you you, um, you you legally changed your name you um do you know baby step through the entire process uh it's jeremy is it it's andrew is that correct
0: mm-hmm.
1: um tell us where are you today like what tell us the joyous position in life you're in now
3: <laughs> um well not too different a place than i was at the end of the book um but i'm now living in texas uh with my family um and I am a full-time uncle, basically is what I do with my time. I do I do this, I do advocacy. I also work at a coffee shop, but mostly, I'm a full-time uncle to my nieces and nephews who uh, live in the area. And it's been wonderful. Um, I am in general, the most... Comfortable I've ever been in my skin. Gender isn't something I really have to think about, um, which makes doing stuff like this interesting because I have to kind of put myself back in that mindset. Because I spent years where gender was the only thing I thought about
2: mm-hmm.
0: um,
3: and, and dissecting how I felt about my own. But these days, I did it, you know, I, I transitioned and now I get to just exist. And that's really, really nice. Um, <laughs> And it's very cool that my nieces and nephews have only ever known me as uncle Jeremy.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: Um, Yeah, I'm in a good spot.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I'm so happy to hear that. And I remember when we first met, you said to me, being transgender is only maybe like 5% of who I am. But for a period of time, it it was everything. It took up, right. I was, um, Alex and I have talked about this a little bit of understanding when um, when we have things in life, right? That are that uh, down to our core of who we are, right? It's like a basic, I always look at it as like our basic needs, our basic rights in life. And one of those being, we should all be able to be who we are.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: when you're not able to do that, not having that security, that foundation, it does take up a a lot of time and space and it can make it really hard to do other things in life. And so when we get to just be, right? So for you, like, this is who I am and I'm here and I did it. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, and now you get to live this beautiful life where, right, gender is only gonna take up a small percentage of what it needs to be. It's just, I'm really happy for you. Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> me too. <laughs> <laughs> Joe, tell us about where you are today. I know you're doing some awesome advocacy work in Texas where it is much needed. Can you tell us a little bit about where you're at today?
2: Sure. Well, like Jeremy, I'm in a really good position. I am very happy. I've got uh, five grandkids at this point. And um, I would say family has always been the most important thing to me. And so I am really enjoying myself living three blocks from my my grandkids, six blocks from Jeremy. Um, Life is good. I'm also still writing and that's been a really important part of my life. I've recently been uh, adapting my book for the stage. And so I'm quite excited. This uh, less than a week from now, Sunday afternoon, uh, a local theater is gonna do a rehearsed reading in front of about 30 people. And so we'll be socially distanced and masked and everybody vaccinated. But I'll get a chance to see my scenes on the stage. And ah. my hope is that by bringing this story to the theater, it will reach more people and in a in a more immediate manner because that's the power of theater. So yes. I'm yeah. still getting to be creative. I'm still working on that. Um, then my advocacy work takes up a huge amount of time. I, when I wrote the book, I knew that it was going to send me into the advocacy world. That to me, the writing and advocacy went hand in hand, that having a book published would give me credibility to speak out on the subject. Speaking out on the subject would help get more people exposed to my book and that the two were totally intertwined. Um, So becoming an advocate has taken up a a huge amount of my time and effort and it's so needed in Texas. So I think you mentioned earlier that there were something like 150 bills around the country that have been targeting trans people. Um, Here in Texas, we get to claim about 30 to 35 of those. So we have had this massive increase in attacks on our trans kids, especially and it's been, it's ranged from taking away medical care, we have to worry, is it going to become illegal for Jeremy to get his testosterone shots? Mm. Because in Texas they talk about making that illegal. They talk about parents who are supporting trans kids the way you are, of calling that child abuse. And that's come up in divorce and custody cases where parents are fearful they're going to lose any chance to interact with their kid because they are gender confirming and another parent isn't and the other parent may win in court. Um, we're dealing with physicians who, who are risking losing their insurance coverage if they take care of trans patients. So it's kind of one thing after another uh, where, where politicians are looking for ways to make life hard for transgender people. And there's a cruelty that goes way beyond logic yeah. And we realize it's not about logic. It's not about people thinking that there really is a problem. It's about power and scoring political points by trying to weaponize hatred against transgender people. And these folks who are scoring points are doing so because they're scared if they don't that they will get primaried from the right mm-hmm. and that someone will take their spot because that other person has been willing to market hatred even more than they are. And that makes it really hard to fight because no matter how logical we are, it doesn't do any good. And so it becomes a matter of of trying to go beyond logic and touching hearts. And that's where our family work really comes into play because what we do is just say, we're here and you're hurting us and look at us we're a a perfectly normal family for whatever that means and it we're nothing to be afraid of we are uh working contributing members of society we're nice people and we have the same hopes and dreams as everybody else and i have as a mom i have the same hopes and dreams for my child for my adult child and so we go door to door in the capitol talking to senators and um, representatives and trying to get them to not vote for these horrible bills that have been being proposed.
1: Joe, so I just can't, um, it's, it is, I understand what you're saying and it's also just so un- unbelievably hard to understand the amount of fear um, and what fear makes people do. And so I know part of our mission in our podcast and also why I'm just so grateful that you all were able to, to come on and share with our listeners that once people know us, we don't we're not different. We're just here. And we want the same ability to live joyfully that everybody else does and not feeling like you're under some type of constant threat from someone's ignorance. And so I'm so grateful that you guys wrote the book. We will absolutely be, sharing um, with our listeners how they can obtain a copy um, and follow along with your story. I think we're gonna run out of a, a little bit of time, but there is um, a part of the book in the back, which is advice to parents and friends of transgender individuals. For our listeners, we will probably put this up on our website for them to follow. Um, it's some really simple tips that people can follow if they wanna support the community. Um, I'm just so grateful that I got to read your story and your words. And Jeremy, I am just so unbelievably happy that you are here and that you share this. And I'm just so grateful. So thank you. Yeah, I
0: have a lot of gratitude for both of your words because when you're trying to figure stuff out and sometimes someone else's words um, help you understand Things that you didn't know about yourself. So thank you.
1: All right. The book, everybody, is Once a Girl, Always a Boy, A Family Memoir of a Transgender Journey. We will be um sharing a link for you to purchase um probably through our our I don't even know, Alex. How many social media accounts do we have at we, this point? <laughs> we will put it out there. <laughs> we got our copy on Amazon. On Amazon and Kindle.
2: And, and I will say that. For the audiobook, our own family read it. So oh. if you get the audiobook, you are hearing Jeremy and she myself and, and Jeremy's dad and uh, his brother and his sister in law. Uh, so we all contributed our own sections.
1: Um, I, I think I'm going to have to get the audiobook. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I'm going to have to get the audiobook so I can keep listening. Um, Jimmy, I'd love to check in with you in the future and see how life is going for you. Yeah. I also like random question, but are you still in contact with Colin and Meg? I am, yeah. They were awesome advocates. <laughs> I, was like, oh, I was like, I want to go hang out with
3: your friends in Boulder. Are they still? Yeah, there? <laughs> I, I miss. I that is one of the. I, I mean, the biggest thing I miss about being in Colorado is I had a really amazing friendship or a friend group there. Um, and I don't keep in touch as much as I would like to, um, just because I'm okay. bad at keeping in touch via via you know texting and stuff. But every time I visit, it's like no time has passed. So that's yeah.
1: That's the best kind of time. <laughs> Next time you visit, look us up. We'll come um, maybe have coffee with you if if you if you don't mind being Absolutely. You, like <laughs> weirdos that are like You're <laughs> <crazy."> <laughs> so all right. We are going to stop recording, but hang on with us for a second. Um, Jeremy and Joe listeners will be right back. All right. Hey. Hey. That was a great interview. Oh my gosh.
0: Oh my gosh. Are yep. you dying? Yep. I'm dying. You love them. I do. Let's, Let's hang out
1: them. and have coffee. I, I I want to join their family. I did too. <laughs> I want Joe to explain all the things to me and I just want to watch Jeremy laugh. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Joyous, joyous, joyous on the path to joy. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I love that. We got to meet them making the world incredible. Well, Alex, should we wrap this episode up? Sounds good. I feel like there's, you, I never know the things that we tell people.
0: Well, balls of magic, you can find us on balls of magic through Instagram and Facebook.
3: Ugh, um, Facebook.
0: We even do the Talk Tick, the Tick Tock, Alex the Human Human,
1: Kim Salvaggio 101. Although, <laughs> listen, if you're looking to my TikTok, you're going to be bored. I never put shit on there unless I'm completely objectifying Alex in some way, <laughs> but it's fine. It's totally fine.
0: I put stuff on my TikTok Tock for, I don't know. Your Tick Tock's awesome. I put, yeah. So, Check us out there and we're going to have, um, we will have some, we have ju- a bunch of stuff coming up. I know it's like, I should, I need a, a list because well, youth scene. go on youth and we'll, we'll have some, uh, connection some updates. There in the resources. Yes. I
1: think our future episodes. So we are like listeners, you're kind of with us. Like we keep talking about joy, like how, what does queer joy look like? And so hopefully in this past episode, you've gotten to what, what, joy looked like for Jeremy. And we're, we're marching towards a really big day in our lives, November 19th, Mm -hmm. where we're going to, we're going to celebrate love and joy in a pretty big way. Yeah. And we're getting there. Yep. We're really going to talk, keep talking about joy. So listeners like send us your thoughts around this. I'd love to hear like what joy looks like for you or are you, are you, are you on a path to joy with us? Like, I want to know all the things.
0: Yes. You can email us at how to be queer at gmail.com. Definitely email us. Definitely email us.
1: I'd love to say that I have any part of that, but you manage all that stuff, you know, <laughs> I just show up very well, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> I love you. I love you too. I love you so much. (laughs) Okay, I'm gonna stop drilling over you now, and I'm not gonna eat any more candy corn. (laughs) If I keep eating candy corn, this celebration and the dress that I got to wear to the celebration is not gonna be pretty. (laughs) I'm gonna look like a candy corn. (laughs) You're really
0: hard on yourself.
1: Will you just please stop? I am going to look like you're. (laughs) Am I going to look like a candy apple? (laughs) I'm not going to look like. What I want to look like, I think it's gonna be a candy apple. You doing hot works? Oh, I'm obsessed. We can talk about that in another because Okay. Because I, I also don't want people going because I like having my space there. <laughs> and if I talk about it too much, people are gonna be like, "Oh, I want to try that," and then I'm never gonna be able to get in. Well, they only it only fits like two people per room. This is my well kept secret, Alex. We're not sharing it. Shh, okay. 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 All right. Love you, listeners. Love you,
0: listeners. See you soon. Until next time. Well, until next Thursday. Okay, bye. (laughs) (laughs) So professional.